Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's good out there. Evening, everybody. Matt Guy here. Hope everybody's doing well on a blisteringly cold evening. Or morning, if you listen to this in the morning or afternoon even. Hello. How are we this week, other than absolutely fucking freezing? Is everyone good? Doing well. I'm not Good. I'm not cold. I went to when I went out earlier, I just had my Christmas jumper on mainly because when I've got a Christmas jumper on, I like a bit of cold on my face anyway. But I don't think it's been that cold today. Definitely not now. I don't know. I think it's a case of and there's a peek behind the curtain here. And I know everybody listening probably thinks due to the success of this podcast, we all live in palatial mansions. But I'm recording <laughs> this from the garage. So it's yeah. it's bloody freezing. And I still haven't turned the heating on yet. Yeah, like I'm still sat in shorts and everything's still sad. That's my excuse. So this week, the big new release of Nicolas Cage's year. We are here to discuss the one and only Jiu-Jitsu. The comet you see in the sky right now passes over the earth every six years and causes a portal. And when it's open, we get a visitor from a distant galaxy. Poet warrior in the sci-fi sense. The spaceman. And he comes here looking for a fight with you. The chosen jujitsu. If he doesn't get it, he stays and he kills everything. That is alien politics 5 through 15. I mean, I think before we get into it. When we first saw the trailer for this film, it looked incredible. Mm-hmm. It looked like it was going to be a Nicolas Cage plays Raiden in uh, Mortal Kombat. He's going to be leading a band of merry men to fight some alien space. It looked exciting and enthralling. I feel like I'm owed a film a little bit after seeing that. It's definitely up there as one of the biggest disappointments from a trailer. Um, like battle from Los a- battle for Los Angeles territory of feeling cheated. To be honest, I mean this this was the first one that I I saw first and then put it in the um, in the WhatsApp group with like you said very very excited about it. Saying, shall we do a watch along with this? Shall we- <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> and then within three minutes, I realised what we were up against. And oh dear, we'll get into it now. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's get into the weeds and discuss this absolute steamer. <clears throat> so the film begins with a man running through the woods before he hits a cliff edge. He gets hit, hit with a projectile and falls into the sea. The opening credits are played out to an animation of seemingly random segments and clips of stuff that is yet to come in the film. <laughs> This is quite a weird thing to do because we've got absolutely no context on anything and they're kind of introducing us to characters straight off the bat. I was a little bit confused and it doesn't get any better from there really, does it? It's the longest title, title se- sequence in history. It seems to just go on forever. 
Yes, it was nearly four minutes long before we got into the actual film. <laughs> and I thought the actual stuff, this kind of comic book kind of styling with it, weren't too bad. And I thought oh, this is piqued my interest a little bit. I mean, the fact that it had already been ruined by the um, the CGI throwing stars that looked like they could have been out of the Power Rangers movie in ninety eight. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought, well, okay, so it's going for a bit of a stylized look. Okay, we can we can get away from that. But like you said, yeah. it made no sense. No, the um, as you say, the cartoony, comic booky looking uh, interstitials. They looked really good, but they served absolutely no fucking purpose. It was a bit strange once once the film got flowing and they kept reintroducing them with no actual impact. It was a bit bit of a letdown. I felt it that felt like a, um, we were into like loading screen in a game territory. Like something to give context, so, like, <laughs> so they like they didn't have enough time to film this scene. So I tell you what, we'll just we'll just stick a loading screen in instead and just tell you what had happened. It was really strange. I'd never seen anything like that before, as a as a way of kind of building to what's happening. Or okay, so they climbed the mountain, let's say, and they just show you a picture of him climbing the mountain <laughs> as opposed to actually showing you anything. Yeah, and especially to have done it in a non comic book related film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a bit like um, the style in the Scanner Darkly Eight, where but they they used they drew over the top of the film stock because what they did with this clearly looks like they've done exactly the same thing, and it, it's a complete waste of time because well, Matt said you could use it for budget reasons, but a lot of the scenes weren't for budget reasons; they just transitioned straight into the film anyway. It, it was just weird. Hmm. Didn't serve any purpose, did it? Uh, and like it wasn't for it was it wasn't a comic book movie, so it was utterly pointless. I just I, I didn't get it. I really didn't. But after nearly four minutes of this animation sequence, we get to see Nicolas Cage on a boat helping fishermen fish the man out of the water. Sadly, this is the last we see of Nick for half the fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> Cage leaves this man's body with these two Burmese fishers who delivered this man to an army base. The man who, is, who was running through the woods eventually wakes up in this army base and cliche alert number one, he has amnesia. <laughs> he doesn't even remember his name. The army intelligence lady tries to interrogate the man and cliche, cliche, ah, fucking hell. cliche. cliche alert two, she sits on a chair backwards trying to act all <laughs> tough. <laughs> And then cliche alert number three, when the interrogator gets nothing out of the man, some army guys try to rough him up. And that's when he realises that he has fighting powers. This cliche alert becomes a bit of a running theme throughout my notes because it's very paint by numbers. <laughs> that's that's the, literally the, the note I've got is paint by numbers <laughs> for the whole film. <laughs> well, paint by, It really is. Paint by predator, paint by born identity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it we it did hit a lot of the marks that you see in films of this genre. Mm. And not in a good way either. It doesn't like arc back to make you think of good stuff. It just does it because I don't think it's got any invention of its own. Oh, Tyler, I thought it was one it was thirty seconds away from shining a light in his eyes and scratching a knife and fork on a plate that interrogation scene because they didn't know what else to do with it and then all of a sudden after she after she's bad cop she just becomes good cop and she's like let's knock us hard on him 
when she's like shouting at him, screaming at him, some kind of reverse psychology. I'm not sure, but it 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 seemed very very um, forced, and um, you know they they didn't look into or they didn't get any kind of influencer or um, context for it. They certainly didn't bring an expert in for that scene. Mm. Well, the the only expert in the whole base is the one who talked to um who tried to talk Burmese outside yeah, <laughs> before yeah. they took him in. <laughs> I think it was this point in the film that I realised that we weren't going to get the film we were promised in the trailer. I thought this is going to be a long hundred minutes if this is how they set their stall out. So we get our first comic book style edit and it gives us a title, The Reunion. As I've said, these edits don't really add anything. It's just to sort of show that it's the next chapter in the book. But... It doesn't really translate because when you're watching the film, it doesn't feel like the next part to it. It's just a continuation of what's already going. I didn't really like it. I've got to be honest. I'm gonna say if you if you're one of them people who don't like to know anything at all, as soon as it says the reunion, you think, okay, he's going to meet someone who he, who he's met before. So you're mm. you're already setting up your own film for spoilers. Yeah, that's very true. It had a it had a TV series feel for me, and just that like they were breaking it up or a to be continued immediately now kind of feel to it. In that just it, you know it was that they were pausing almost like an interlude or an, but it just it just felt so strange. Like it didn't it didn't. I can only imagine it. It was like it was cut differently to how the director wanted it, and. They've had to. I don't think. I think these would have put in post, in post production. Yeah. I honestly don't feel that this mm. the, 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 there was an intentional thing when they were making the film. That, that makes sense. That would make more sense than what the actual film does. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to meet this man who just walks into an army camp and kung fu's his way through at least twenty trained special ops army people who've got massive fucking knives and even bigger semi automatic weapons. And he just waltzes through them. It's ridiculous. <laughs> this dude eventually makes his way through to our man. He shakes his hand and then they fight their way out of the camp. We get some baffling first person camera work here. <laughs> One minute, but like it's really weird because one minute it's following and you're clearly looking through the eyes of the guy we're following. And then the next minute he's run ahead of the camera to fight people. And then he goes back behind the camera and we walk with him again. It's really, really fucking weird the way this is filmed. I, I really, I couldn't get with it. It's either we're looking through his eyes or we're not. You can't do both. That's terrible. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. In any anything in in any series or film or game or anything ever, no. it didn't make any and, sense. And not in a good way. Yeah. Not in a good way. And I found it almost unwatchable. This scene, it, the camera actions were so jerky and fast-paced, unnecessary cuts. They were zooming in and out, panning all over the place. You could see limbs fl- flying about from behind the camera. I, I just couldn't. It would give me a headache. Mm. It was like, this is this is too much. Just if you're going to show me through his eyes, just show me through his eyes. Don't do a little bit of everything because it doesn't work. It felt very much like the first time I ever got access to video editing software. And I played, <laughs> and I played with the settings because I could. 
because they were there available yeah. to me, but it didn't necessarily may, mean that the projects I was doing was any better for having things in slow-mo, then backwards, then, you know what I mean? It just feels like it yeah. was um, playing with the tools they had available for the sake of it, as opposed to actually adding adding anything to the cinematography or the mise-en-scene, as it were. Mm. It's, yeah, you are right. It's a bit like, I mean, I'm guessing that the answer is going to be no, especially for Anzi. <laughs> you ever played Mirror's Edge? Where I played Mirror's Edge, yeah. It's in theory you think, yeah. well, that could be a cool idea, but mm-hmm. I've even I found it incredibly frustrating and annoying. I mean, a parkour <laughs> game in first person, and it got a sequel eventually, but that's where it ended. And you think, well, again, just because you can, you don't have to. <laughs> exactly. Mm. So our two men they escape and meet up with a group in the middle of a cornfield. Where the fuck in the world are we that we've got cornfields, forests, cliffs, open water, verdant greenery, and dry desert sand? Bantock Park. It's all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) The group tell our guy that his name is Jake. This band of merry men, they then get attacked by an unknown entity who manages to attack hiding in waist-high grass and then disappears. And then the army rock up. They try to corner the team and we get another fight scene. I have to take two paracetamol at this point in the film. <laughs> just, I've got a headache. Again, it's just this really long fight scene. We're probably only about half an hour into this film and I'd say at least 24, 25 minutes have been fight scenes. Mm. And there was shit as well. It was. <laughs> yeah. There weren't even... I know that the... Um, is it Tony Jar, his name? The uh, yeah. actor's name, and he's a, a big star in that part of the world, but that doesn't mean you have to turn the whole film into a, some kind of, well, jiu-jitsu version of kung fu. <laughs> it just didn't, it was just, it takes something to have a film like, with scenes like this in, and for me to be bored of it. We know, we know, we know how much I love my nonsense and everything, and it was, it was, uh, when I did think of you, uh, after the, the initial anger of you making us watch this, um, subsided <laughs> that I thought Andy's going to be killing himself for this this gonna, this motion blur <laughs> and jumping all over the place and there weren't even I mean it, it was just they might as well have just been wearing red jumpers just hey well, they were just fodder they were just fodder for death there was no even which is fine if if that's what you position them as but they're supposed to be highly trained operatives and again for the third time in the film already they just get Chopped, <laughs> chopped by hand down to the ground. Just nonsense. Mm. And like the, it's fair enough if if uh, you know a lot of the film are fight scenes, but these are talk. These are like Lord of the Rings, Two Towers epics. Like each one, <laughs> it's like they go on so long. I remember being really tired watching this just through work and and, and like nodding off and then coming back around like. And, and then it's still going on. And I just couldn't believe it. it was really like, I thought to myself, um, how, how long can this feasible, this fight scene feasibly last? And it just get, goes on and on and on. And it, there, was no pay, there, was no, there was no pacing in it. And because it was so long, it didn't really feel very impactful either. It, it had like, mm. Power Rangers is probably about right, really, in that someone would kind of get hit. They'd fly across as if they'd been like, <laughs> hit by like a gravity hammer. And then, and that'll be it. That'll be then done off like a chop to the head. It just wasn't very. That's it just wasn't very it. engaging, was it? It wasn't. And like as you know, I'm a big fan of the Fast and Furious series. And in each Fast and Furious film, they up the ante, so they always give you 
something a little bit more batshit crazy with what they do with the cars. And generally, when you watch kung fu movies, that's what they do. So they will introduce a new element or show you a new set piece that says, look, we're not just kung fu, we're kung fu plus. Mm. And that wasn't this at all. Like I've seen, like if you go way back to Bruce Lee days, and obviously he was a master of the arts, but the stuff that he did looked and was a lot more inventive than what we see in here. There was nothing new. There was nothing shiny about this film, which was very disappointing. Mm, I'd agree. And when you've got stars and swords, not being shiny is a disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very much so. It's at this point that the army then recapture Jake. He tells them he now knows his name and thinks that they need to get out of wherever the hell they are. So now Jake is actually working with the army all of a sudden. And we get the cliche alert number four. The army believes they are there because of plutonium. Plutonium, the most classic of MacGuffins. <laughs> like, how pathetic is that? Like, I mean, that, that is literally from a fucking Alfred Hitchcock film. That's how old that cliche is. Cliche alert number five, seeing through the eyes of an alien and he sees like Predator. Oh, I know. That was, it was horrible, wasn't it? That I was just like... This is this isn't this isn't a homage anymore. This is just blatant plagiarism, yeah. and it wasn't even done well. <laughs> it was just like, oh yeah, this is like. I mean, I wasn't exactly running to find where I can get this on Blu-ray up to this point anyway. <laughs> but this was really beyond the pale. It it wasn't even an asylum style ripoff, though. It was just as as close a copy as they could possibly get without being sued. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. So whilst trying to escape, the army get caught by the alien. One soldier blasts the alien numerous times. The alien repairs itself and then kills the soldier. Running away, Jake falls down a hole into an underground house. After 40 minutes of the film, St Nicholas is here. Finally. Wig watch, he's rocking a beautiful black mane of hair, thick and luscious. <laughs> Cage appears to know who Jake is but obviously Jake is still clueless. What was that, the first thoughts on seeing Cage? Like, he says, when he first meets uh, Jake, I'm you in a few years if you don't get your shit together. And, like, we've only really had this tiny glimpse of an alien, so we know it's sci-fi-ish. I thought that it was going to be that Cage was Jake in the future and it was going to be some kind of time loop thing. Yeah. What, what were you pair thinking? Same. So I thought we were, we were in looper territory. Um, Mm. and because of obviously what we already know about it being alien sci-fi, exactly the same thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be a, either, um, split timeline thing or or something or another. Um, yeah, exactly that. Which would have been a lot better because as soon as he said that, I was, that was, well, as soon as we saw him, that was the first time I kind of got excited because I thought, oh, this is different now. It's going for a different, different feel altogether. And that's that section in the uh, in the the burrow was great because he, he's kind of well as you'd expect him to he stole the show. <laughs> it was at this point I realised that we were almost halfway through the film, and I I didn't know what the story was. <laughs> like I'd watched it, and I just I couldn't figure out what was going on. Like the story was basically fighting. Man wakes <laughs> up fighting. Man leaves, more fighting, comes back, 
fights and then meets Nick Cage yeah, it, and fights again. Sounds like if, an episode of WWE Raw. I guess so, <laughs> if you replace the fighting with porn, then you, you could have sold this on the top shelf and it's got to have the same amount of story. <laughs> I'm here to repair your pipes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's all like the context they needed not like cue cards in, in storybook form <laughs> as you've pointed out this was the highlight of the film this scene Nick Cage talking bollocks whilst fighting hand to hand with another man and it was like proper silly bollocks as well talking about making hats out of newspapers <laughs> like it was the first time I chuckled throughout this whole film It, like I said silly bollocks is the best way to put this scene and he did the stunts himself as well which is amazing Good on him. But from what I can tell, I think that pretty much the rest of the cast was just stuntmen. <laughs> Which I, th- I think does explain why the acting is abysmal in this film. Because they're not actors as such. They're, their primary focus isn't on acting, so they're not they're not really actors in, in that same way. Yeah. Cage and Jake fight to a stalemate. It's like they know each other's moves. The rest of the Merry Men turn up at Cage's hut. So they're all in this together. They head out to the temple and talk about fighting the thing. That's as descriptive as this film has got. Is we're going to a temple, we're going to fight a thing. Because it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I did think we had a nice little nod to Bad Lieutenant when Cage walks past an iguana and just yeah, nods yeah, at yeah. it. <laughs> I, th- I wonder if that was intentional, ha- if not. It has to be, because well, it, it played no other part in the entire film, did it? It was just the only time you saw any kind of wildlife whatsoever, and it was that iguana, and I thought, yeah, that's ex- exactly yeah. what I thought as well. It was just for us having just watched Bad Lieutenant, I think. On arrival at the temple, we get an exposition dump from Cage informing Jake that a portal opens at this temple every six years and a visitor from millions of light years away comes through the portal looking for a fight with, <laughs> and, and I say this in quotes, the chosen jujitsu. Cage says the jujitsu like we're supposed to know what that is, like it's a magical, mythical term and not just a style of martial arts. Not jujitsu or jujitsu the jiu-jitsu. <laughs> the jiu-jitsu, yeah. <laughs> they then suit up and go looking for Brax. That's the name of the alien. We get more exposition again. Like, they just... I think they realise that they've gone half the film without doing anything. They need to catch everybody up. So Cage explains that Brax needs to fight nine people and he will leave them alone for six years. If he doesn't, he will destroy the Earth. (laughs) But there's only eight in their team because Brax has already killed one of them. Whatever. (laughs) Whilst walking somewhere, don't even know where, Brax catches up with the team and one of them says it's his time and he'll fight Brax. We get another overlong, mostly uninteresting fight scene. And the sixth cliche alert, when appearing to have delivered a killer blow to the bad guy, we get a moment's pause before realising that the good guy was actually the wounded one. Cliche alert number seven, the guy seemingly believed dead at the start comes back to impart some wisdom on Jake. So another exposition dump because Cage tells Jake that he fought Brax six years ago and that he begged for his life. So that Brax didn't kill him because there is no honour in killing crazy. This time around, Brax tried to fight Jake and Jake ran away. 
So Jake is responsible now for innocent people dying. Going from spending half the film with zero plot to now all of a sudden we've got the preamble, the exposition, the character backstory, all in 20 minutes. We've gone from absolutely nothing to far too much. Mm, we have. Like, the balance is all off. Without even going into... And you can have faceless, nameless villains, and that'd be fine. But it gives us enough that we expect more now of an explanation of what it is that they're fighting. Um, and we don't get that. But we, but they, they hand-feed us little, like, his face turns occasionally a little bit human... And then it doesn't, and we get these little like, we get like little snippets of this, but we don't get enough, and it just feels like they've. Oh, I really wonder where the where the logic came in in the script writing to only give us in total about twenty five minutes of backstory and and an explanation, and then ninety minutes of of bedlam. It just feels. It just feels just feels really wasteful because th- there is something there that could have gold in it but unfortunately mm. this is not one of those things there's there no diamond in this piece of coal i mean it, as as soon as they showed the stargate on the wall um and then when brax or whatever and he, he looked when he the first it's the first time his face turned i burst out laughing I mean, he looks like a a blue gorilla, like pushed up against a pane of glass. It <laughs> <laughs> just—it looks anything but terrifying. And like you said, that that, that yeah, um, that first real encounter with the the first overly long fight scene with him, I thought it really is fucking Power Rangers. I mean, you could see the rubber the rubber suit was bending and all sorts. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ, man! I know the rest of it's shit, but at least if this is your your one thing to spend money on, at least you could have done it better in that in the suit alone. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's when I'd kind of given up all hope at that point. As soon as you saw the bend in the arms, thought, nope, <laughs> this is this is just gone now. Let's just get it over and done with, and then <laughs> then they put more. Like you said they put more story on after it got even shitter. Oh no, it's going to carry on. <laughs> so after this, Brax comes looking for them once again, and we get another long old one-on-one fight. The girl he's fighting in this scene looks actively bored of being there. <laughs> Like, I understand you're in a fight, you're not going to smile or anything, but at least emote something, not just boredom, for fuck's sake. It's hardly going to pull you in as a viewer, is it? We get the eighth cliche alert. Martial arts fighting amongst Tibetan slash Buddhist punk looking statues. Cliche alert number nine. Nick Cage, as the old master, fights the big bad guy and dies. He does not have the same gravitas as Obi-Wan sacrificing (laughs) his life for Luke. (laughs) The tenth cliche alert, Jake now finds out that Cage was his father. Jake and the, the last of the Merry Men go to hide in the castle where Brax's portal is to wait for him. One of the army guys and the old fishers from way back at the start of the film, they come back completely apropos of nothing. <laughs> I, I don't know where they've been or why they're just coming back now. Jake beats Brax back into his portal. That was a mouthful. Uh, Thus ending the cycle for six years. We better not get another one of these bastard films. That's all I'm going to say. The end. I have to take more painkillers because I have a splitting headache. But he he does does kick him when he's got a bomb inside him. (laughs) And then he heals over the top of, which I thought, oh, 
this is that's quite an interesting way to end things. And then, it sh- but they don't show him die, do no. they? So that's it. It, it looks. It hints at the fact that his whole world has been blown up by him, but being kicked back through the portal. But you know that there's going to be a Jiu-Jitsu two in two years. I mean, it can't be worse than this, though, can it? If they were to make a sequel, I was going to say Surely. it'll be straight to DVD. I mean, amazingly, this wouldn't have been straight to DVD if it was uh, if cinemas oh, were out yeah. and cinemas were open and available. You imagine paying money for this? <laughs> You'd be fuming, yeah, wouldn't like you? Quite- 12 quid or whatever it is to go and see a film <laughs> of this quality. Fuck, you know. So the budget, amazingly, was $25 million. <laughs> I, I don't know how they've spent $25 million on this film because they, they haven't spent any of it on anything we see in front of the camera. It's appalling. I mean, it's, there's no point in talking about the box office because obviously it's brand new. It's released mid-pandemic. But I... Like you said, Stu, the big piece in this is the suit for Brax. And there's no way they've spent £25 on that, let alone <laughs> $25 million. IMDb, unsurprisingly, a 3.0. The Metacritic is a 27. Rotten Tomatoes fan response is a 36%. And the critic response is a 28%. So they're all coming out around the, the three out of ten mark. So what that, that proves to me is you can't trust one third of people, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I have had a look on Amazon to see if there are any uh, reviews from idiots, but unfortunately it's just too soon, so there's nothing out there. Um, I've found a couple of passing grade reviews, like a <laughs> C grade. sort of grade. Yeah, like a you know they've given it maybe a five out of ten, and you know, it's acceptable. So Matt Conway from Battle Royale with Cheese says, that, <laughs> nice. I love the name of that website. I do need to check it out, I think. Uh, the director utilises the kitchen sink of B-movie staples and infuses them into one gleefully dopey popcorn movie. I'm not sure I particularly agree with what he's saying, but each to their own, I suppose. Uh, Punch, Drunk, uh, yeah, Punch Drunk Critics said that if nothing else... Jiu-Jitsu deserves credit for not being another boring car chases and big explosions action flick. Like, they're giving it praise for something it's not. <laughs> that's how that's how low the bar is on this film. All of the top critics on Rotten Tomatoes, they obviously just lay into it, because why wouldn't you? <laughs> so, <laughs> this is a career worst from Cage, and keep in mind, this is a man who made Vampire's Kiss in 1989, where he ate a cockroach. Uh, Simon Abrams from RogerEbert.com. The maker should have gone full Sharknado and admitted they're banking hard on Cage's anything goes image. And finally, the Wall Street Journal said, Cage has worn a lot of things on his head. The Burmese fisherman's bonnet at the beginning of this film is something new. It's one of the few things in this movie that is. (laughs) So, the good, the bad and the crazy... Where do you start? Um, Stu, I mean, the, tell us. The good was the scenes that Cage were in. So I actually, oh, the bits where he were in, I really enjoyed them. <laughs> but as ridiculous as they were, they were actually really fun. And I, I, I thought, I mean, that there's other films that we've watched that are, are not, they've got no redeeming features in whatsoever. I mean, this has barely got any. But I mean, he's on, on screen for what, 15 minutes max in mm. this whole film? And I thought he, he, 
not only steals the the um, the scenes, he steals the entire film and makes it almost almost watchable enough to uh, to carry on with if you're not doing this for a project. But <laughs> yeah, the bad. I mean, everything else. I mean, <laughs> the other the other best part of it, Aaron Arf, It was just like that guy said. Then if you had gone full Sharknado and made it full schlock central, then it would have yeah. been ten times better. But they tried to be serious. Uh, it just came out really, really poor, and pff, you can't. I mean, it, it wasn't bad enough to annoy you, other than in a jokey way. But again, it's not bad enough to be good for, in, in one of them kind of things. Mm. It was just boring. Wasn't yeah, it, it was too. Yeah. Let's say you could have cut half of the half of the fight scenes down, but then you'd end up with a sixty-five minute film, <laughs> which again. <laughs> If you put that as a Christmas special or as a as a kind of something else and tat it mm. onto it, if there'd been like a, a looper plot or something like that in there as well, that would have been ten times better. But like, yeah, like you, like you said earlier on that it, there was something there. Like I said there was something there, and it was just not done well enough. And I mean, the the crazy has to be that he had that budget allowed <laughs> anything else. I mean, what was the <laughs> what budget did um, Colorado Space have? Oh, um, was it, I think it was about eight, if I remember correctly. It, it, Between eight and twelve, I think. It was absolutely nowhere near. The, I mean, the, look how good that looked compared to this mm. pile of shit. And it's it's completely night and day. And to have Cage and Tony Jar as your only real stars and spend that money is just ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Matt, what are you saying? Um, the good would have been, well, pretty much spot on with Stu, really. The... The Nick Cage um, sections that he were in, he's in, including the the initial fight scene um, with Jake, was actually was actually quite good, quite entertaining. He's he gave a bit of actual humour to it, not laughing at it kind of humour to it, and he, he was he was good enough and entertaining enough that he kept me engaged and kept me watching just about. Um, bad, the pale and cheap imitation to Predator, which is one of my favourite films. It was just really <laughs> offensively bad. Um, it wasn't like even trying to be like it. It was trying to steal. It's trying to exi- pretend that Predator never existed, and it, th- this is new. And like when he was chasing him with like these these really badly digitized throwing stars, and he's they're <laughs> dodging out the way like this. But there'd be there'd be, there'd be there'd be sections where they'd be stood perfectly still having conversations, and they'd just be flying past their head, <laughs> and they'd like not pay attention to them at all. So it's not like they've it's not like they've said to them right. In this scene, there's going to be throwing stars flying around. So pretend that you're like on edge. They were just stood perfectly still, having normal conversations, while these like implements of death are flying past them. And <laughs> um, the crazy for me would <laughs> it was more of just a an observation. Really, we've got this we've got this alien that wants to fight nine noble warriors and have like a genuine dust up. And you know, it's all about honor and like bowing your head and everything. But when things doesn't go his way, he just shoots him with a laser. So like, when, like it's just, when like when the tide's turning in the fight, he goes, "Ah, fuck it! I'll just I'll just get, bring out my space gadgets." And it, like, it was just really strange that like out of nowhere it was like, "Okay, I've I've had enough of this now. Bang! I'm just going to kill you. Forget about this whole uh, this honourable fight nonsense." It was just strange. I didn't really understand the the mantra behind mm. it. And because I genuinely fell asleep for a bit of it, I thought I'd like missed something. <laughs> like, and this would explain <laughs> the whole film if I'd have just watched it. Oh no! But um, I'm guessing not. No. For me, the good was whoever made the trailer for this film. <laughs> like, they deserve a fucking Oscar for what they put out because 
it was excellent. It genuinely made me want to see it. So yeah, kudos to whoever did that. The bad, it's a mess. The script is all over the place. There is no narrative flow to any of it. It's all fits and starts all the way through. The camera work's difficult to, to keep up with. Too many edits, not a shaky cam. It's just generally an all-round badly made film. The crazy... I mean, don't, I would like to see the actual script for this. Because <laughs> generally speaking, they say that a minute of um, script is... Oh, sorry, a page of script is about a minute of screen time. But this is supposed to be 100 minute film and I there's no way I can see that script being 100 pages long. It's going to be about five pages of actual dialogue and the rest is just fight sequences. And the other weird thing, I don't know about you, but I felt like they said Jake a hell of a lot in this film. I, I actually counted 20 times they mentioned the name Jake. So that works out to one Jake every five minutes. It just seems a bit excessive. Like I don't know why. It really bugged me. It's funny that you say that about um, like how much script there is because now you say it, you can just imagine that the dialogue was wrote on the back of the receipt for the twelve pack of Monster Energy drink that they like. <laughs> it's slam there. Yeah. Right, we need to make a film. We've been given twenty five million. What we're going to do? Right, we'll have these drinks first. Bang, and then they've, then they've gone <laughs> wired as fuck, and then they've gone. Okay, right, we've got it, and then they just start writing it down on the back of the receipt. <laughs> So, did you enjoy this film? For me, it's a no. The trailer gave us a check that it, the film just couldn't cash. It's got all the makings of a cult classic and then just shit the bed. So, no from me. Matt, did you? Absolutely not. No, terrible. Um, and it's it's bad because... And we're, we're going to be discussing our top and bottom five. Um, it's bad because... It's something that has promise and potential and doesn't deliver, which is worse than just being bad because it's actually bad. It's um, mm-hmm. I'm, it's in I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed territory. <laughs> Stupid, <laughs> yeah, very much so. It's it is. There was there was something there and they fucked it up. So and the be- what the only thing about this when I ever see it again, obviously not, but I would see when someone makes a jump cut of the cage pieces which someone's bound to do me if not I'll do it myself and that's <laughs> and and maybe draw a little cartoon for the bits in between and to make it better <laughs> and from that case obviously no I didn't enjoy it one one bit it was shit but yeah the the cage bits were very good but that doesn't make it a watchable yeah. film not at all so We'll go straight to the next question then. Is he good or is he bad in this then, Stu? Was was the bits that he was in good, was he good in them or was he bad but it was fun? What are you thinking? I loved it. <laughs> I really enjoyed the bits that he was in. I mean, I don't know if that makes him good though because it was he was being... I mean, the paper hat thing was... <laughs> it was going full on, yeah, mental cage. I know I'm in on the gag kind of thing. But mm. he did it well. So it's, it's one of them I'm kind of torn because... He was by far the best thing about the film, but is that saying anything? And yeah, is, is that enough? Yeah, I'll be, I mean, I'll probably say fifty-fifty because I am torn with it. I mean, it, it was it was a very enjoyable performance. Let's just say that if it's good or not, we need an answer. Is it good? Is it bad? You've got. We need it one or the other. There's no maybes in this game. Fifty point one, good. Okay, Matt, what about yourself? Well, Andy, I'm glad you asked because. <laughs> Because the just because the purple one in a Quality Street is the best, it still doesn't mean that Quality Street is any good, and that's what I'm saying for Nick Cage's performance. 
it's a no for me, unfortunately, because yes, like he's the most entertaining part of it, but that's like mm. it's that's like the eating the least shit flavored shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? It's just and and, yeah. and I think I think in on the gag is probably the right thing. I think it, at some point he must have known this film isn't going to be quite what he maybe expected it to be, and he kind of like mm. just goes goes along with it, but but has a good time with it and good good on him. And I, I no doubt he probably got a fat paycheck off the back of it as well. Um, but just because he's entertaining doesn't mean I don't think it means that he's a good actor in it. I just think that he's just having a bit of fun with it. It doesn't. Uh, but he, you know, he was the best part of the film. That still isn't. Mm. That still isn't quite good enough, unfortunately. Yeah, my notes say pretty much the same, except I've put to say Nick Cage is the best actor. It's like saying Gonorrhea is the best SD because <laughs> <laughs> it's it is. It's just he is the most entertaining thing in this film but it's not really a good performance on the back of it. So, sadly, it's a bad from me as well. So, I will toss those up because we're going to be moving on and looking at the scores next to tell where we are in our dissertation to the man Nick Cage. So, our scores on the big cage question. The last time that we did this was after we watched Kick-Ass. Since then, we have watched 13 films. Valley Girl, Grand Isle, Snake Eyes, 8mm, Kill Chain, Left Behind, Pay the Ghost, Mom and Dad, Colour Out of Space, Knowing, Bad Lieutenant, Wicker Man and Jiu-Jitsu. After Kick-Ass, it was 18 votes to good to 15 votes. Votes? Votes bad. Much like last time. Cage took a healthy lead early on, going 24 to 18 by Snake Eyes, but then got pegged back to 27 all by the time we got to pay the ghost. Since then, it's been a case of good then bad throughout, pretty much. Before today's episode, good did have a three-point lead, and it was 36 to 33. But by adding in Jiu-Jitsu score, that is now 37 to 35. So we are... uh, it's still too close to call this uh, this race, I'm afraid, gents. Mm. I'm, I'm I'm pretty pleased with that, though. To be fair, I think he's probably. What? I mean, the good ones are probably bumped up a bit by me. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, but considering some of the shit that we've watched, that's that's pretty amazing, really. I'm thinking of like what we've got to come as well. That there's still some big hitters there that. Um, that you know, kind of iconic '90s films to cut to go. So he might get a bit of a bump there, but then the, we we haven't really delved into the he really needed money territory either. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we get to like probably from about 2007 to 2017, then I think we'll um we might get a bit of a one way or the other at that point. But I think what it does show is why we're actually doing this podcast because he's such a divisive figure that. He is the best and the worst actor in the world, and you can never quite make a you, you can never make a, a a claim on him and stick by it mm. because he will either let you down or prove you wrong in the next movie. So, we're going to look at our top five films. This has been really difficult. I've got to be honest, because for me anyway, there have been three standout movies that we've watched in the last thirteen. So, Mum and Dad, Bad Lieutenant and Colorator Space, I think all deserve something. So, I've got to try and fit them into a top five, which it ain't going to be easy. So, 
the ones I've gone for in my top five. At number five, I've gone with Mom and Dad. Number four, I've gone with Bad Lieutenant. Then it's going to be Face Off the Rock and Kick Ass, three to one. I'm not going to be able to fit Clear Out of Space, and I don't think wow. as much as I loved it. That surprises me. And I properly loved it, but I I think I prefer the performance to the film because Mom and Dad is something I think I will watch regularly, whereas Clear Out of Space is probably going to be every few years. Mm. But that's my top five. Matt, what's yours? Um, so just for context, um, five to one previously would have been uh, Captain Credit's Mandolin, uh, Conair, Face Off, Kick Ass, and The Rock. Um, so in in fifth place, I've gone for Color Out of Space because it was something um, completely out of the blue and unusual, and something I really enjoyed as as a piece. Um, Face Off in number four, Kick Ass mm-hmm. in number three, which is down down a place. Um, which has been made way by Bad Lieutenant, which I really, really enjoyed. And uh, The Rock retains its place as number one. Some good choices. Stu? There was um, two new entries into my top five from before. <laughs> but it was, I was very torn because, obviously, mm. there's, there's one that's not been mentioned yet, and Valley Girl was very, very close to getting in the top five. Um Oh, it's, but, it's, in, it's in the top five of my list. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Valley Girl was very close. But um, no, in at five, Mum and Dad. Four, Conair, down. Three, Colour Out of Space. And then Face Off and The Rock don't change. I mean, I was, I did think about Kick-Ass and um, Bad Lieutenants. And again, it was just on the basis that it was... He wasn't in Kickass enough for me mm. <laughs> to count in mine, and Bad Lieutenant is one that, however mental it was, I won't watch it. I'll probably watch it a couple more times compared to the others, which mm. are infinitely more watchable. So it just missed out, but yeah, two new entries in the top five. So I think we all sort of loved the, the same films throughout. I mean, I know you picked up on like Valley Girl. For some bizarre reason. <laughs> but like those three really were the standouts from this bunch. So what about the bad side of things? I know last time we only really discussed our top one bad film. But I think we've watched enough now where we can discuss our top five or bottom five worst films. Stu, what's your lowest of the low? I mean, do we go 16, 15 and then <laughs> that were I mean, <laughs> fifth least shit. Would um would be kill chain. Just again another one of them where good or, there was something there very badly executed, and mm. um and again I think same with the next one which is pay the ghost which is just boring, and we all said the same thing at the time it was just there was no real redeeming features of it it was just really really boring and just very meh there was. Mm. I mean, even thinking about it makes me tired. I mean, it's just... <laughs> it's, it's one of them. And, it, and then the top the top three worst were... It was a it was a battle. I mean, obviously, we all know what I'm going to say is worst anyway, so we, let's just get next out of the way. But <laughs> Left Behind was just annoying, offensive, didn't make any sense. Um, and then 
close second with next is this polishing from today. <laughs> just, <laughs> just because of what we were promised by that trailer, and then we ended up with something that was worse than Power Rangers, VR Troopers, and all of them things. Rubber film, rubber TV shows from the nineties mm. were better. Even the Power Rangers film, which is actually not as bad as you remember it when you go and watch it again. That that was made in what ninety eight and has better CG than this. So Jiu-Jitsu, so Jujitsu nearly won, but next will forever be shit. <laughs> Matt, what is your uh, bottom five? So uh, number five in the bottom five is Snake Eyes, um, on the basis that it has that offensive, has something there, but he's ultimately quite boring and doesn't really deliver, which mm. is which is a big thing for me. Uh, number four is Pay the Ghost um, because it's boring. Essentially, exactly as she said. It drags on way too long. Um, I've got next in at number three, um, which was very nearly replaced by knowing. And I was, but then I, but then I saw sense. And then uh, jujitsu in number two for, um, for for committing the crime of even though we only had to watch one film for this podcast this week. Still felt like it took up the time of two <laughs> because of like for like for how much it dragged on. Um, and in number one is left behind purely because it's terrible. It's Nick Cage's one of his worst performances. Um, and as I mentioned on the episode at the time, I actually think it's got some like proper right wing racial undertones that just mm. is that just doesn't have a place in 2020. Um, and it's just a, it's just it's, it's the worst of the worst. You know, it's not it's not Wicker Man where it's a terrible film, but it's fun because it's so bad. It's it's just it's just it's just damn right awful. Mm. Yeah, I mean my my number one worst film, I agree completely, Matt, it is left behind. The others in the top five. So fifth was Ghost Rider, which was my worst one when we first did it. That's gone down to five, that's how shit some of the films are we've seen. <laughs> Pay the ghost at number four. What more can I say than what you haven't said? It's boring. Jiu-Jitsu at number three. Knowing is at number two. <laughs> I've had the same reaction to knowing that you've had to next. <laughs> like, I actually... Next isn't great and the end pisses you off, but I would watch that over knowing any time because knowing doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> so that's that's mine anyway. So are there any standout performances, either for best or for worst, that you've not been able to get into your top slash bottom fives? Is there anything that you feel needs a, a, some recognition? I mean, bad, bad like I've kind of already mentioned it, Bad Lieutenant for me was when he's excellent in Bad Lieutenant. Um, mm. It was just un, unfortunate that I had diff, I had favourites that weren't there in the end. Um, I mean, there's there's been... I mean, Left Behind is kind of out there as <laughs> is it the worst of the worst of anything he's ever done. Yeah. I mean, he, he did more in jiu-jitsu than he did in the entire <laughs> Left Behind. I mean, obviously, he did it as a, a favourite, didn't he, event, as we found out eventually. Um, I'm just trying to find out if there is anything else mentioned. Because, I mean, uh, just going on the scores alone, I kind of, I liked him a lot better than, the Ute did in a lot of things. And mm, maybe that's just yeah. been me being forgiving of a lot <laughs> of his performances in a way. <laughs> but I think Bad Lieutenant, I mean, there's, there's ones, like I said, the Valley Girl thing, 
I do genuinely enjoy Valley Girl, and if it is a because it's eighties and the setting, and I love the setting, and he's it's his first film, and he's got knackered up teeth, and they change later on. And <laughs> maybe that's got something to do with it, but I just really lo- I enjoyed his performance in Valley Girl, <laughs> and I've got to live and die on that hill <laughs> forever. <laughs> Matt, anything that you feel needs uh, a light shining upon it? Well, I um, I'm surprised that Kill Chain fell into um, a bad film list because I, I performance wise, maybe not fantastic because he's not in it for a great deal of it. But I actually thought the film was quite entertaining in a in a roundabout way. It had an interesting idea, you know. It, it had interesting ideas and it had a few cool moments in it. So I don't, I, it doesn't fall into any bad lists for me. Um, mm. I'm guessing because I think we, uh, if we're talking about performances in the top five sense, um, there's a, the, what, there's a few films like Grand Isle, for example, I thought was very, very serviceable. actually quite enjoyed it, to be fair, up until maybe yeah. the last 20 minutes or so. Um, and I think the last 20 minutes stopped it being an, an, an all-out great film because um, Nick Cage puts in a hell of a performance in that film. And, I, and forgive me, I can't remember the name of the, the female lead in it um, who plays like the... Southern Belle, but she had a great performance in it as well. That was a bloody pant tightener. So it was like <laughs> there was absolutely, you know, I think Grand Isle was 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 a really good film, and I'll probably go back and watch it again in in maybe like a few months' time. Yeah, I think I, I think neither of us mentioned that eight millimeter, but for for a serious Cage film, I don't think it was too bad in eight millimeter. It's one of them where he wasn't silly or or over the top at all, is he? In that, it's just. He was outshined in it, though, wasn't he? In eight millimeter, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably why so, we haven't mentioned it. Our personal scores, both myself and you, Matt, we both on eleven to thirteen in the favour of bad. So it is Stu, really, who is holding up the good side <laughs> of things with a fifteen to nine score. So Stu obviously does uh, really like him a lot more, but. I think even even seeing that though, it's still not like a runaway lead. So I am interested to see where we end up the next time we do this to see if if Good's taken an extended lead or if it's got pegged back. See how it's going to go. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing where we go next with this one, gents. Mm. But that's us done for this week. So thank you very much for joining us once more. Make sure you follow us on the Twitter at CageFightingPod. Emails to CageFightingPod at gmail Make sure you subscribe so you get our email, our email, our podcast drop in your podcatcher every week. And whilst you're there, please make sure you leave us a five star review. So for this week, Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Get the mulled wine ready because it's Christmas next week, people. Goodbye. <laughs> Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. And don't be like Andy. Get your central heating on. Stay safe and warm, please. <laughs> Uh, it's goodbye from me as well. And as you pointed out, it is Christmas, so please make sure you're looking out for your loved ones. It's tough times out there. Just make sure you know that uh, they're out there for you. Take care. See ya. Mm-hmm.